0: Hello friends and welcome back to The AirPod. We are, what, five days now from Harry and Meghan's big interview with Oprah Winfrey, the special that the whole world watched, it feels like, and those numbers, Maggie, keep getting bigger by the day. I think it's something like 48 million people around the world who have watched it now. Um... How are you holding up? You and I are not together today. I think I should preface this with saying that you are currently on the road somewhere. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I've, I've seen you, Omid, quite a few times this week, but always in passing, waving from afar, each of us going to separate interviews all over the cities. <laughs> so it's only fitting that when we catch up on this podcast, I'm in a car coming back from an interview, you're somewhere else in London in between interviews. But you know, this is what this week is all about. I think it captures how much this interview has taken the world by storm. I mean, like you say, the numbers are incredible. The interest in the U.S., in the U.K., so many countries, you know, aired this interview that it's becoming larger than just the royal family. This is sparking so many important conversations. It's really been just an incredible week.
0: Yeah. And I, I think, you know, listen, I've covered my share of big tours. You've been on, on some of those big tours, too. And obviously been there for the big moments, uh, the, the births, the weddings, the engagements. They are huge historical moments the royal family, but I would say, and I've certainly spoken with a number of other royal correspondents around this time, this feels like perhaps the biggest story mm. that I've covered in, in my, gosh, 10 years of covering royals.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's interesting you say that because I think, and I wonder why it is. For me, it's because it's, it is. It's it's bigger than the royal family, you know? it is. The royal family and the monarchy and the institution the firm whatever you want to call it um but then you know we're also talking about mental health about race about america about the uk about the the world the commonwealth you know there are so many bigger issues that all of a sudden are exposed and people want to talk about and it's really because of this interview which is again just a, a spectacular thing to be a part of
0: yeah it's very interesting to be you know we're sort of five five or so days beyond. The original air date now a little less for those of you in other parts of the world um, I think in the UK it was just the day afterwards that people here got to see it for the first time but we're now almost coming off the big stories the big coverage of the interview but we're entering really interesting conversations as you say on issues surrounding race uh, mental health and 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 the many other points that were brought up by the couple, it's been a real time of, I think, reflection for many. But it started some really interesting conversations, and I'll be having some of those later on in the show, or, or I should say, I've already had. Um, I've found various uh, little corners <laughs> across the city to to conduct uh, Zoom calls. <laughs> um, but later in the show, uh, you can catch up with the conversation that I had with Doctor Show Lamoss uh, Shog Bamimu who you will have no doubt see on a number of of various shows throughout the week sharing her thoughts on the conversation surrounding race that came up uh, after Harry and Meghan's interview. Of course, for those of you who haven't seen it, and I would imagine that there are none of you that fall in that category, Harry and Meghan uh, made a very uh, shocking revelation about uh, an incident or racist incident happening within the royal family itself. Uh, Both Harry and Meghan spoke about uh, a member of the family, unnamed, we just know it's not the Queen or Prince Philip, who had raised concerns before the birth of Archie about the colour or the potential colour of his skin. It was, I would say, Maggie, the story that dominated the initial coverage that followed the interview. And I don't think, listen, I, I knew that there would be some big moments coming out of this interview because, of course, it's the first time we're hearing them speak, but I don't think anyone was quite prepared for just how jaw-dropping certain moments would be.
1: Yeah, what did you think, Omid? I mean, I remember us talking about this last week, speculating, and I think often these interviews are very overhyped, right? They, they, they say there's going to be bombshells, and there's one or two news stories that come out of it. But if anything, this was underplayed. I mean, this was bombshell after bombshell. Uh, were even you surprised?
0: Listen, I I think anyone that claims to have known what was coming out of this interview is lying because this was kept under lock and key. You know, Harpo Productions, Oprah's production company really did. I mean, I've been in this industry for a little while. I have seen things leaked. I have received leaks over the years. There is always a leak. And so for this to remain under such tight lock and key... You know, I have friends working at CBS who had no idea what was going to be in the interview. Mm -hmm. I think that final tape didn't even enter the sort of orbits of the network until very much at the last minute. So, yes, a lot of that came as a surprise to us. And I think, uh, you know, that leads me to the other big talking point of the week, which, of course, was uh, Megan's own very candid remarks and the stories that she shared when it came to her own mental health and the struggles that she faced as a working member of the royal family you know i think i think many knew that it was a very difficult time for her um but this was the first time that we heard the duchess a speak about it herself for the yeah. first time which i think is very important for us to have a better understanding of how it was she was feeling at those times but also uh, to hear how open she was when it came to talking about suicidal thoughts and really the, some of the darkest moments that she had faced during her time living here in the UK. Um, we, we heard the story of a very isolated duchess who I think, listen, on the outside, and this says so much about humans in general, from the outside it looked like she was always strong enough to get through everything no matter what the attacks and the press were no matter what she was dealing with internally out in the field on those royal engagements on the tours there was nothing but professionalism and a smile which I think for us to then learn that things were so different behind the scenes um, came as a shock to many and, and that'll be something that I'll be talking about later in the show with Bryony Gordon, a well-known mental health advocate here. Many of you will know her from uh, the work that she did with Prince Harry on Heads Together. In fact, she was the journalist that sat down with Harry to hear his mental health journey for the first time on her podcast. So definitely stick around for that. But before we get to those issues, Maggie, I wanted to sort of Take us back to Sunday or Monday morning even if you can remember that far back. It's like um, a
1: lifetime ago Omid.
0: <laughs> and think of the, the 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 initial coverage that followed those big revelations, those big moments. For me, it was at a time it was a time when I felt like the US and the UK couldn't have been on more different pages. We <laughs> saw such different yeah. Uh, reactions. In the US, I think there are many people who are so keen to hear Meghan's story, you know, one of one of your own in the House of Windsor, someone that I think an underdog at points that people really championed. And they, you know, I think we've known that it wasn't a story that ended well. But I think that there are many people that wanted to hear that from her own, from her own mouth, and were shocked at what they heard. Whereas over here, we had a real pushback against some of the, yeah. the experiences that were shared by the couple. Um, you know, it, it, it takes a very strong individual to challenge the monarchy or to highlight uh, the flaws of the institution mm-hmm. in such a public way, especially a couple who, you know, I, I think most, most of you listening would know this by now, who have such sort of divided... Opinion here in the uk people either love the sussexes or they don't it's
1: emotional i think what was interesting too, him was just this this universal reaction to it and interest right again whether whether you love them or you don't there is passion there you know we were outside of buckingham palace practically every day this week um and there was just especially early in the week just a storm of broadcasters i mean that place was packed with people doing live shots and interviews and you could just see uh, this international reaction, I mean this was the story people were talking about this week, but I think you make a really interesting point that you know I think my perspective is unique in the sense that I'm obviously an American living abroad in England, covering the Royals and i I have a lot of American friends that I see what they post on social media and their views and now I have a lot of friends in Britain and can you know it's been a steep learning curve, and I think what I've come to discover is that the now, the royal family has a intense and complicated relationship with the British public, and it's difficult for Americans, myself included, to really understand. You know, if you haven't grown up with it, I think it's not something you can ever fully grasp. It's almost like intrinsic to the British people. Even interviews I've done in just the past few days, you know, with young people, with older people, with hardcore royalists, with people that definitely side with Meghan and all of these issues, they all kind of say that... It, They don't really know what the future holds, but they also can't imagine a UK without the royal family. It's all this country's really known. And so that's an interesting perspective to to bring to this conversation. And I think you also saw a lot of that in the coverage over here, you know, people I take a very critical eye. And, you know, they always are uh, very quick to remind everyone that taxpayer money pays for the royal family. And, you know, it's definitely something that's a part of um, your daily life here. Mm-hmm. Now, if you if you flip that around, and I, I, I sort of think about the way I t- discuss it with my American friends, I think a lot of people, you know, saw um, Meghan as an American. They saw a lot of themselves in Meghan. And, and, and when she came over here and Um, You know, had accusations against the royal family exposed things within the royal family and the institution. Made these revelations. Uh, A lot of people were shocked and um, saw you know a a lot of things and uh, issues that they've dealt with themselves. I think when Meghan made those you know accusations of racism within the institution and the royal family, a lot of Americans have also felt similar. uh, Similarly. I think a lot of Americans have also faced racism inside institutions, and so they identified with Meghan. And I think that's a very powerful connection, and a lot of people have been, you know, looking up to her on social media, um, praising her for taking on such a large, if not the largest, kind of institution out there, right, the royal family. And for me, Omid, you know, at the end of the day, whether you. I don't want to make this about taking sides, but, you know, whether you identify more with um, the royal family or with Meghan and Harry, I think what's really incredible is that, you know, here we have a couple and a a woman who has kind of uh, brought these issues to the forefront, really taken on uh, this institution that is centuries old and pushed them back on their heels. I mean, we see them on the defensive this week, and that's an incredibly powerful thing to see happen.
0: Yeah, and that defence was very interesting to watch uh, roll out because, of course, you know, immediately after the special aired, it was silence, of course, from the royal family. And, you know, we had heard from those uh, sources close to to the palace that there was almost a sense of wanting to wait and gauge the mood of the nation before saying anything. You know, the show aired... Sunday night in the US, Monday nights in the UK. So of course it wasn't until the Tuesday that we actually heard from the palace and it was those 61 words had taken two days to craft uh, that was really the first response in the institution not just about the, the claims that were made when it came to racism and Meghan sharing her own very personal mental health story but just to get any kind of read on how that interview an interview that the no member of the royal family had watched beforehand i would have imagined that there were many watching on that monday evening in the uk or somehow on the sunday night i know a lot of people over here were subscribing to all sorts of vpns to try and make it work um but yes we had we had that statement from buckingham palace on behalf of the Queen. I'm going to read it out to you. I mean, you probably know it off by heart by now. It has been analysed to death at this point, but um, it says the whole family is saddened to learn the full extent of how challenging the last few years have been for Harry and Meghan. The issues raised, particularly that of race, are concerning. While some recollections may vary, they are taken very seriously and will be addressed by the family privately. Harry, Meghan and Archie will always be much-loved members of the family. Now we could probably spend a whole podcast just analysing this particular statement. And, and I would say that coverage this week has borderlined on that at times. Um, but, you know, the I think the immediate takeaway for many were the was the inclusion of some recollections may vary. So it was this message of support. It was that kind of keep calm, carry on attitude that we know the royal family for. But this subtle... I don't, I don't want to call it a seed of doubt, but I can't think of any other words to use, uh, that was planted alongside that. And I think for many in the UK who were already quite ready to not believe what was said, it was almost just what many needed to hear to stop taking them seriously. And then, of course, we have seen since then that a lot of the coverage has really focused on anything but the fact that the couple had spoken about racism. So it's been really interesting to see, you know, the kind of wheels in motion of the institution of the monarchy. You know, it's, of course, in the name of the Queen, but let's be under no uh, let's not kid ourselves that there weren't many individuals involved in this process and in fact we heard from sources how uh, there were consultations with other members of the royal family uh, trusted private and very senior aides at Buckingham Palace were drawn into this as well so this was really the response from the palace and for some it felt like not enough I, I, I think that also depends on which side of the pond you're on as well. And, and again, it sort of comes to this uh, UK-US perspective on things, it continued to be different even after this statement dropped.
1: Yeah, but I think it's a really good point. And I saw a lot of this playing out when, you know, we got the next reaction from the Palace. Obviously, uh, we had the official statement from Buckingham Palace. We did see Charles uh, not that long after. He, you know, got shouted questions from the media. He had no response, which was somewhat expected. And then we saw William and Kate at an engagement a couple days later. And, you know, I think after getting yelled questions, we heard the press yell fairly, you know, a question you never really thought you'd hear them yell at a future prince. And he responded. Did. let's take a listen
0: sir have you broke have you spoken to your brother since the interview <laughs> no i haven't spoken yet but i will do and, and can you just let me know is the, the royal family a racist family sir no, we're very much not a racist family you know i think what was so interesting about this was not so much the response you know i think what else is he going to say of course he's going to d- deny it um but i think it it was the fact that he even responded and I think on top of that was the fact that here we are this situation that has you know resulted as from from the revelations made in the interview where the future king of the country is being asked if his family is a racist uh in the middle of a working engagement and i think that that you know at that moment i think for many you realize that this isn't a private family matter as, as as the Queen had put it in her statement. This is a constitutional matter. There are people in this country who are truly questioning whether it is possible that the next in line to the throne or the one that comes after has made a racist comment. Are they a racist? That's a question that many asked. In fact, it was a front page of the sun newspaper i think it said millions want to know who is the racist it has created this guessing game that i don't think the royal family will be able to escape and these points are exactly why i wanted to catch up with an activist that I'm sure many of you have seen on your screens this past week and in recent months uh, surrounding conversations to do with the Duchess of Sussex. Uh, Dr Shola Moss Shogbamimu is based here in the UK. She's an activist and NYC attorney um, and the author of This Is Why I Resist, Don't Define My Black Identity. Her voice has been incredibly important um, in the recent days uh, following the sort of fallout from the claims made by the couple and uh, just after my ABC News Nightline interview I managed to find a quiet corner in an empty hotel in London to have a chat with a woman herself. We obviously started the week with the revelation from the couple that there had been uh, racially insensitive or racist comments made by a senior member of the royal family and since then it has made sort of Continue to be the topic of conversation, not just in the UK but around the world. I, I want to go back to that moment. You've obviously been commentating and, and aware of the, the work and, and the lives of the royal family for some time. Did it come as much of a surprise to you?
2: No. It, listen. It, it it did not come. Across, it did not come to me as a surprise per se. That racism as conduct or passable um, behavior uh, or language exists within the monarchy as an institution. So that was not a surprise to me. What I thought my my reaction was outrage. And it was this is this is the 21st century. How do you have concerns about how dark Archie's skin might be, and the implications of that, and th- this is where people fail to draw the line. People go, well, you know, families always have conversations about, well, you know, um, what's a pro- what's a child going to look like? I'm like, well, no, but those conversations don't have concerns attached to them. You know, I I always went, well, my kid's going to have my husband's nose or my nose. That I did not have concerns. I mean, of course, I hmm. prefer to have minors naturally. But <laughs> the point is, I did not have concerns. And that concern went into what it means. What does that mean? Does that mean Archie would be loved less because, you know, loved less compared to his cousins, Princess Charlotte, Prince George, Prince Louis, because his his, his skin is darker? And of course, that aligns to, um, to Megan's a biracial heritage, a black heritage. That's the only reason the conversation is coming up. So it, it wasn't mm. more, it wasn't a surprise. It was more, it was outrage that so, somebody or people had the audacity to even think as it came into their brain that they shouldn't shut the heck up and they should never leave their mouths.
0: And I think that that outrage that you talk about was probably felt across, was certainly visible in a lot of the coverage in the US, whereas in the UK, we saw more of a pushback against the possibility that such an incident might have taken place. Did that come as a surprise to you?
2: Absolutely not. I am not surprised that, you know, a section of the British public decided to make this more about, well, we need to defend the Queen. We need to defend the monarchy. No, 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 no. The Queen doesn't need defending. This was not an attack on the Queen. The, the point is, we've seen this time and time again. Anytime we want to have those real hard conversations about institutional racism in the in the United Kingdom, you get pushed back with, "Well, Britain is the least racist country." I'm like, if it's the least racist country, it means it's racist. Are we not speaking English? There's nothing least about the <laughs> racist. And and, and the People automatically want to make this about you're smearing an entire country, clearly not understanding or willfully, deliberately choosing to ignore what it means for structural racism to work in this country and the legacy this country has, you know, from from the British Empire which is steeped in slavery, steeped in colonialism, all of which was about dehumanizing the black identity. There's no other way they could have justified enslaving millions of black people, not just here in Britain, but across the pond, when when, you know, America was still colonized by Britain. And then thereafter, when America won its, um, when it won its independence, and then carried on with that legacy. So there are British people, white British people, who don't want to accept it because their way of life is predicated on the denial of an equal value of life and liberty to black people and ethnic minorities. It is, it is white supremacy 101.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you think, you know, we've, of course, out of all royal family members, the only two that we've heard speaking about unconscious bias, or the existence of racism in this country were Harry and Meghan. Mm -hmm. And that, of course, remained the case throughout the couple's entire time as working members of the royal family, including when Meghan was at the receiving end of uh, racially charged commentary or racially insensitive commentary, and uh, in many cases, outright racist uh, stereotypes and, and language used around her in sections of the sort of public, but also in the media. Do you think that perhaps if the Royals had been more outspoken about that, we may have felt differently about the statement that we received from the Queen just a few days ago that raised concerns over the claims, but then quickly put it as an issue uh, of, of private family matter?
2: Absolutely, if the royal family, if the monarchy, I mean, just, so let, let's put it this way, there's a royal family, i.e., as individual members of the family, and then there's the monarchy as the institution, right? If they had, if they have done anything that publicly denounced the racist undertones of the negative press against Meghan, that would have gone a long way because the, the negative press helped to shape public opinion about her. And to Meghan's point during the Oprah interview, not once did the did, the, did, the, did Buckingham Palace publicly denounce, reject, or go on record and say, that is not true, that's unacceptable. I mean, look at the story around Catherine um, being the one that made Meghan cry, not the other way around. So when you receive, when we all see this Buckingham Palace statement, which has the Queen's name on it, I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Do they honestly think this is acceptable? Well, I mean, it's almost like they're living in a, in a private bubble of their own, given you know, following last year's gl- global uh, Black Lives Matter protest, following the fact that COVID 19, the pandemic, impacted more Black, Asian, and ethnic minorities than white people. I mean, how did they come up with a statement like that that shines a light on how much they have failed their own? And so I, I'm, well, I'm very outspoken on the point now. That, that response was absolutely. Unsatisfactory. Not only did it gaslight an entire nation by by implying that Meghan's experience of racism varies in, co- in recollection to the personal people that perpetuated racism against her, but it in total, what it was trying to do was to stop public scrutiny, and it was also trying to relieve the monarchy of its duty to be accountable to us, the British public. I would think that. The monarchy failing to, to uh, protect and support their own with mental health will make them absolutely unqualified to speak to us about mental health, to even appear to, to serve us when it comes to mental health, because it means that they pay lip service to us. That is what it looks yeah. like. And then the reference race as, as concerning Jesus. What snobbish nonsense. It's concerning. You, you can almost sense that overly polite classism stepping in. So I don't know who the heck wrote that message for the queen, the person should be fired.
0: Well, as you say, I think using the word concern about an issue, listen, I'm concerned about whether my parking ticket has run out, but my feelings towards racism are much stronger and we haven't had that conveyed to us by the royal family. And of course, the next day, we had William address the, the topic himself Uh, but simply by uh, denying that there was any racism within the family, it puts us in a position where many will be feeling like not enough has been said because what we face here is the possibility, and of course, no names have been made by Harry and Meghan, they've only said that it wasn't the Queen or Prince Philip, but the possibility that the next in line to the throne or the next after that could potentially be a racist and for head of states and head of Commonwealth, the incredibly diverse Commonwealth of 54 countries, that is of incredible concern to many.
2: Absolutely. You, you would expect that the monarchy understands its role as being, as being leaders to help steer the country. Yes, figurehead in, in, in most part, but still people will look up to them. So if on the issue of race, They think the best way to deal with this is to use the Commonwealth as as a prop. When they fail to maximize their best assets to the Commonwealth, which is Meghan Markle, they must think we are stupid. This is why I'm saying it is unacceptable for this to be left, this issue, to be left as a family matter. If they want to internally investigate, find solutions, yada, 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 What I want to see is the outcome. I want to see receipts. I want to see what they're going to do about it. And I want the monarchy to give us the assurance this will never happen again. Because come on, how can we have history repeating itself? This is literally um, Diana, but on a worse scale. It's just wrong.
0: That was, of course, Dr. Shola Moss Shogba who I hope will be on the show in the weeks ahead. This is a conversation that I think we'll continue having for some time and it will be very interesting to see how members of the royal family broach the subject in their engagements and work um, in the not too distant future. Uh, You can of course check out Dr Shola's book This Is Why I Resist Don't Define My Black Identity uh, in all good bookstores, brick and mortar and online of Course. After the break we'll be catching up with mental health advocate and author Briani Gordon who many of you will remember as the woman that Prince Harry sat down with to talk about his mental health struggles for the first time. Welcome back. Well, whilst the Oprah special was a chance for viewers to get a look at Harry and Meghan's new life in California, including the very exciting news that they're expecting a baby girl, it was also an opportunity for people to get a better understanding of why the couple made the very big decision to step away from their working roles. And whilst we have often had insights into some of the reasons behind that decision no one was quite prepared for the revelations that the Duchess made about her own mental health.
1: Look, I was really ashamed to say it at the time and ashamed to have to admit it to Harry, especially, um, because I know how much loss he suffered. Mm-hmm. But I knew that if I didn't say it, that I would do it. And I, I, just, didn't, I just didn't want to be alive anymore.
0: I'm joined now by mental health advocate, author and journalist, Bryony Gordon, who many of you will remember having sat down with the Duke of Sussex in 2017 to talk about his own mental health journey for the very first time. It was a conversation that went on to really open many others about mental health and breaking down the stigma surrounding it. She was also involved in Prince Harry, Prince William and the Duchess of Cambridge's extremely successful mental health campaign heads together. So I'm very lucky to have you with me today, Bryony. I wanted to bring you into the conversation here to really just talk about the reaction to the past week. We've seen a, a fairly weighty um, story shared by the couple in their interview with Oprah that has touched on uh, a number of different issues, but of, of particular mental health struggles. Um, but seeing quite a different reaction to perhaps one might expect um, for such a candid revelation.
3: It was interesting to me. I did, um, obviously, um, the the interview with Prince Harry in 2017 about his own mental health. And the reaction to that, you know, I've been sort of comparing the differences and the reaction to that was just incredible. You know, there was a real sense mm. of palpable change and very few people had anything negative to say and those that did were kind of quickly (laughs) taken to time you know (laughs) there wasn't and there was no sort of you know there was no sort of wanging on about them you know it was it was just it it was it was it was it was broadly speaking so positive and I felt as someone who has a history of my own mental illness and who um and, and as a mental health campaigner, I, I felt so full of hope, you know, and I was under no illusion that we were, you know, that the the, 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 the the problem, you know, that the, the, the mental health battle was in any way won, do you know what I mean? But it mm. is quite stark to see how here we are um, four years later, is it five? I can't, my maths is terrible. Um, four years later and to see how, how very different, how starkly different the response has been to what was said in the Oprah interview and um and i do find it quite you know dispiriting as 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 a mental health campaigner that you you know a lot of the reaction has been sort of what i would say is gaslighting you know Um, yeah to sort of to sort of to have someone explain that they were suicidal and then to be told that they um that you know on, on in many cases on national television um that you know the the, the the presenter doesn't believe her um you know i think one of the po- the, the the phrases used by i mean the the, the, the most obviously the most kind of obvious cases is, is that of piers morgan on good morning britain and he, yes you know and he described her as the pinocchio princess and this is all turned into a huge sort of story about freedom of speech which I sort of got it's got away from the the issues. Actually, I feel that we really need to be focusing on, which is how uncomfortable we are, are talking about suicide. Um, certainly in the UK, I can't speak for other countries, but I imagine it's not much better. Um, and suicidal feelings. Um, you know, I, I did a campaign actually shortly after the interview with with Prince Harry, uh, with with the with the then M- Labour MP Luciana Berger, and we wrote a letter to um, to, to newspaper editors and television broadcasters, news broadcasters across the UK, asking them to change their language around suicide and how they reported it. So we know that we shouldn't be saying things like committed suicide. It should be died by suicide because, Mm -hmm. or completed suicide, because, um, you know, it isn't a crime to, well, it used to be a crime to to attempt suicide until the 1960s, actually. and you know that that sort of, put, in very, very many ways, it 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 shames the the people that have the feelings. And we know that if you don't speak up about suicidal feelings, you are far more likely to act on them. And and that was what um, the Duchess, she said. She said that she knew if she didn't talk about it, that she was going to do it. And, and that's not I'm paraphrasing there, but you know that is a that is a simple um, truth about suicidal feelings that. that That when you speak about them you are less likely to act on them as long as the response you get is you know and it's very complicated and and I think the media reporting of of suicide can sometimes be you know it's not just media reporting generally which there's a lot of conversation at the moment about you know it's a year since the television presenter Caroline Flack um, died by suicide Um, and I think there's a documentary coming out that about how you know, one of one of the reasons she was so distressed was because of coverage of something that happened with a boy, you know, just coverage generally, I think, over time and but also kind of trolling on social media. I mean this is yes. to me, I think, that this the reaction to this story, and not just from the media, because I think we can sort of I think we really need to ask ourselves questions about are you know, everyone needs to ask questions about their own place in this conversation because you know the media will keep printing stories that are um you know that, that are harmful as long as people keep clicking and reading them you know yeah and well and good I can sit and go it's disgusting but I'm still reading this stuff you know and yeah I'm sort of getting away from the conversation the point but for me it's a much wider conversation about sort of why we feel the need to bring people down when they are so clearly have experienced.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think f- for those listening, they'd be very interested to hear just how different the coverage has been here in the UK, because in the US, I think there has been a largely sort of sympathetic outpouring following the Duchess's candid um, revelations, because I, I think there are so many who are invested in her story in a very different way over there than they are here in the UK. She, of course, was the American in the House of Windsor. I think people really rooted for her in that situation. And then to hear how difficult it had been during those times has seen a very different response to hear. And, you know, I think one of the things that really stood out to me and I would say troubled me in a way was seeing uh, publications such as the Daily Mail almost the day after um, sharing such a difficult story to share. Uh, conducting a poll of whether she should have her title stripped from her, and I just thought uh, it made me question where, how have we got here? How have we got to this point?
3: Uh, to be honest, I think we've always been here. You know, it's I, it's not. I don't think you know. Sadly, this isn't anything new. It's a sort of tall poppy syndrome in in the British media where we like to big people up and then tear them down. Mm. And, and that's a, you know, and it's there's always a woman who's who's cast in that light you know just before just before the interview came out it was really interesting like to, to put this in context for listeners in america so you know as as people in america are are also you know we're in the middle of a, a pandemic and um our health secretary, have been found to have signed off contracts uh, worth millions and millions of pounds without declaring them. Mm. And you would think that's a pretty scandalous thing that you think would be on the front pages of newspapers. But on the Saturday, or was it the Friday before the Oprah interview, um, you know, the splash on... Uh, you know one of the tabloid newspapers was uh, that the prime minister's girlfriend had spent a con- had spent some money on some wallpaper for 10 downing street like that, <laughs> that was the focus yeah and then the other thing was something about the duchess you know uh, you know some some sort of revelations i've lost track frankly but i'm like what like, why is this what we're focusing on you know and i do think it's it is symptomatic of something much wider i also think that you know, while I find it really sad to see how the response, I'm I'm not that surprised, you know, what the Duke and Duchess have done is, you know, they don't, they haven't shied away from confronting the certain sections of the media and not all, like I, I think to describe them as hating all media is incorrect. I don't think that's, that's the case at all, you know, but um, I think that the they haven't shied away from telling it as, how, as they see it. And, you know, they're not going to be cowed or, you know, they describe the sort of fear that the monarchy is in, it has perpetual fear that the monarchy has of, 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 of certain sections of the press. And, you know, there's been a lot of people that have said, well, if you want a quiet life, why why do an interview with Oprah? And, mm. and, and I think that it's like, they, you know, the fact that they know like, it's almost like this is a bigger thing than them, I think, even, you know, like, I think they do it because they know they have the platform and the resources to take on um, certain sections of the media in a way that other people maybe don't, who are kind of screwed over, you know, on a regular basis, so to speak. Mm. I'm only speaking for what I... The, the, my understanding of it. And listen, I, you know, this is a tricky, you know, I find this uncomfortable difficult because I'm a member of the media, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like,
0: Likewise.
3: <laughs> I, I spent 20 years writing for the Daily Telegraph. Now, listen, you know, and, and that's where, you know, and the Telegraph are, are the, is a newspaper that has allowed me to, that's where I started doing my mental health campaigning, you know? So I get very torn on this because on the one hand, I see the great work that so many newspapers do you know, there is so there is so much fantastic journalism out there.
0: Absolutely, I
3: think it's really sad that this kind of stuff really clouds it. Because I don't, I don't think the majority of, you know, I don't, I don't think the majority of journalism is um, toxic. Or no,
0: and I would, I would say that royal, the royal beat in itself is a sort of very different ball game to the way. You know, straight news is covered in the majority of the papers. I think that there are some slightly different rules um, when it comes to reporting on members of the royal family. I think I've often said this on on this show actually. Is I, in the UK, we have a very an almost unhealthy relationship with members of the royal family. We, there's a sort of sense of ownership there that we don't necessarily have even towards certain celebrities. I think a lot of that's to do with how we fund how we fund the institution. Well, yes, people would but... argue
3: that they do own the Royal <laughs> <laughs> you family. Know, I, you know, that's the thing. So I can sort of see that. Like, I, I think there's, listen, again, I think there's a much bigger conversation than Harry and Meghan going that needs to be had here, you know, that in the year 2021, you know, and I, I'm not suggesting, you know, I'm not a Republican, clearly, or, you know, but it's, 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 these are, these are questions that have, like these are conversations that people mm. in the UK have, been, have sort of been bubbling under, and this is sort of given. Um, it's it's sort of it it's 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 sort of taken the I don't what I'm trying to think of what the, the metaphor is, and my brain's a bit scrambled. <laughs> um, <laughs> We're all
0: in that place well, I think at this it, point.
3: You know, it's like the the it, you know it's it's like people have been it's it's allowed people to vent. From yes, both sides. and listen, I think the other thing that this has really shown me is like for me, this story is just like sad, it's just really sad that it has come to this within a family. Do you know what I mean? And mm. I think that it's people are like, Oh, I'm team queen, I'm team, and I'm like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. like, I did a, I. I was invited on a documentary recently about Harry and Meghan's relationship with the media and I you know I sort of I do tend to shy away from these things because I'm, I'm you know my my job I'm not a royal expert I'm not but because of the conversation I had with Prince Harry I I feel like I and because I'm one of the few people who is sort of supportive of the two of them in the media um uh, uh, you know along with you Amid um I kind of feel like oh I should go and do these things and I and, and it was we had a very, you know, um, interesting conversation about it with the with the documentary maker, and then he said to me, "Are you team Harry or team William?" And I was like, "What? Like,
0: <laughs> Do you have to pick?"
3: <laughs> I was just not answering that question. I was like, "Can't you just be team human?" And ah, um, oh, Omid, I don't know. Look, to me, it's like um, personally, my feeling about it is that what I wanna be now focusing on is like, can we be talking about some of the amazing suicide prevention organizations out there? Because you know, this to me was, was, and I think that the Duchess saw this as well as an opportunity to, you know, we do know there is, a, there is an actual, and I'm gonna, the Papageno effect it's described as and it's the effect that mass media can have by presenting non-suicide alternatives to crisis so we know that when the media um talk about uh tell stories of people that have overcome suicidal feelings and moved through to the other side and are glad that they didn't um complete suicide um that has a hugely positive effect on people right as just as irresponsible reporting on suicide can have a really negative effect um, on people who who are experiencing suicidal feelings, and for me, this is like the the sad the others. There's loads of sad things about this, but you know the saddest thing is that there was an, there's an opportunity here to have like a really a really um, responsible, uh, helpful conversation about suicidal ideation. You know, there'll be they're, yeah. they're probably someone who's going to be listening to this podcast who may be having suicidal feelings and be like shocked and not know what to do with them. And here was an opportunity for us to, to have conversations like that that could really help people. And it's sort of been lost. It's been lost.
0: And it, Yeah. And I think that's what worried me when I saw the reaction, because it was much more about it wasn't even about how the press were perhaps treating the Duchess or how they feel about the Dutch, which I think has been made terribly clear by now. But it was about how that may affect others. And of course, we heard then the remarks that you said that Piers Morgan had made on Good Morning Britain earlier in the weeks, doubting Meghan's claims, resulted in Meghan making a complaint to the head of the network, ITV, in the UK for that very reason. It wasn't about his criticism of her. It was about... The possibility that by claiming that this story was was nothing, that it was made up, would actually put others off ever wanting to open about their own experiences or, or people contemplating getting help that are now put off by that. And I think that that kind of victim shaming that we've seen a little bit of this week is incredibly dangerous. And it's why I wanted to talk to you, because you are so knowledgeable in this space and and i know that you've sort of having your own interactions with the couple you've obviously gotten to know them well you would have known exactly why this would have been so important for them to share something like this
3: i think also you know the thing i would say on you know is that mental the thing i've i always say about all mental illnesses mental health issues from anxiety through to psychosis and beyond is that they, the thing they all have in common is that they lie to you, and they isolate you, and they tell you you're a freak, and they tell you that you're alone, and they tell you that no one's going to understand what you're going through. They cause you to kind of gaslight yourself, right? So it doesn't take much for people to go back into themselves. You know, someone might be on the verge of speaking out, and you know, a mental illness will grab onto anything to stop them from doing that. Because the moment you speak out is the moment that you, you're not immediately cured, obviously, but like you start to, um, you start on the road to recovery. And so people hearing, you know, it took me back to when I was a little girl and I was really very unwell. and, And a lot of the time I'd be told to stop being a drama queen. You know, like oh, guttural. You know, the guttural God. thing. And um, you know, I think that it's so. It, it's really important that we, you know, to be honest, it doesn't. It doesn't really matter whether you believe if someone's suicidal or not. The point is that they're telling you it, so they're clearly in distress. You know. Yes.
0: Exactly. And I think
3: there's a. I think there's a, there's this real um switch, and I'll you know like I, I here I remember. I remember doing a talk about mental illness at um, a festival a few years ago. And I remember at the end, a a woman stood up and she, you know, when we got to questions and she said, "Um, my daughter says that she is depressive and that she's sometimes suicidal, but I just think that she's attention seeking. And my response to her was, well, then why don't you give her some attention? You know? Exactly. So yeah. I I think that you know it's we've really you know I think that there's 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 huge questions here about compassion and empathy and I don't know it's bigger than me certainly Omid um, which is why I try to you know keep out of it as much as possible.
0: <laughs> well, um, I'm going to ask you one more thing before you keep out of it, and that is. You know, the Royal Family have obviously done some incredible work when it comes to mental health campaigning. Obviously, Heads Together has really driven a whole change in conversation here in the UK when it comes to talking about mental health. For a large section of the planet to now hear that an institution had perhaps uh, not made itself available or supportive to a member of its own family during such a vulnerable and difficult time... Do you think that that may have a negative impact on how work in the future is perceived?
3: I, I think, you know, like I have a, listen, I have a tremendous amount of sympathy for both sides here because we're all, <laughs> besides, do you know what I mean? Like this is in a way to me, it's just, it's a, like, it is a, it, it's, um, it's, it's reflective of what happens in so many families, do you know what I mean? Um, and I don't, I don't think any of us are helped by shaming or screaming hypocrites at Mm. people, you know, because this is, you know, this is, this, this, this stuff is really difficult. It's really difficult. Like, and I, you know, I, I have empathy for people that don't get it. Yeah. Because like, yeah.
0: Of which That's, many don't. We've we've heard yeah, that. Yeah,
3: like, and I don't. I don't think any of us are helped by going. Oh, I don't. You know, I just. You know, like listen. We all. I, I don't. You know. I don't. I. I think anything that is done to shine a light on mental health is fantastic. And 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 I honestly cannot even begin to tell you how much heads together in 2000 and 2006, 2016 and two thousand two thousand and sixteen and two thousand and seventeen changed the conversation about mental health for the better and that they did that yeah like
0: yeah
3: William and Harry did that yeah so let's not
0: yeah and it came from a very genuine place
3: yeah and um, the work they continue to do I have you know they 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 really care about this stuff right William Catherine Harry Megan, they all really care about this stuff okay so like I I, I don't you know I don't want to get drawn into you know what well, I, I i just think that um we should all be talking about like the broad you know the broader issues that concern people and i think this will you know this will have chime this, this story is you know on the one hand you could look at it as this sort of like tale of royal intrigue but really it's all of us
0: yes exactly well and also i think that that says a lot about perhaps some of the pushback against many of the things that we've learned in this documentary or the special even, because it has forced so many to think about their, their own thoughts and opinions on these matters and perhaps in a very uncomfortable way. And so hopefully it continues a conversation much longer than the sort of life or the shelf life of this Oprah interview.
3: Yeah. And I, I don't think like, I, I thought that they spoke, and perhaps I'm a bit naive and I'm glad I'm naive, but like, I, I felt they spoke actually really lovingly about their family.
0: <laughs> do you
3: know
2: what I mean? Yeah, well,
0: I think a lot of that got lost in the coverage.
3: I don't. As, as, I, as always. I, you know, I, I just, you know, I don't know. What do I know? But,
0: um, <laughs> well, you know quite a lot. And for anyone that wants to hear more from you, uh, your book, No Such Thing As Normal, is on shelves now. And I could talk to you about this. All evening, but I know you've got a Friday night to get to. <laughs> well, I, know, I, I, I need to eat.
3: To I've got a child's to to bed, but like, also, can we just? could I just big up? Like, there's some amazing suicide prevention and fantastic, um like, crisis text lines that you can Google, and you know, there's there's so much information out there, and there are so many people that are, you know, like I always say to people, like, don't think. You know, like I remember when I was at my most um, despairing and, and suicidal, uh, my brain would tell me that I was the only one out there who um, was going through this. And not only did, that was wrong, there was someone out there not only who understood what I was going through, but someone out there who was going through what I was going through. And um, you know, don't be, a, don't let, don't let these, don't let these thoughts shame you you know because you you are worth so much more than that and and that's what i would ultimately say
0: if you or someone you know is in crisis or being affected by any of the issues discussed in this segment please do call the national suicide prevention lifeline you can find them at 1-800-273-TALK or text on 8255 and if you want to check out their website suicidepreventionlifeline.org all the information will be there too well, some time has actually passed, Maggie, since we last spoke, but I, I believe you're still in a car.
1: <laughs> I am still in a car. I'm, I'm very close to home, which is exciting. A bit. <laughs> but you I don't know, think this story is going anywhere.
0: <laughs> you know, I think, and, and absolutely, and I think that we will have a, uh, an even deeper dive into to, to many of the themes that came out of this show on next week's episode. But I think what, listen no matter how anyone may feel about the couple or the royal family we've really been able to engage in some very real and much needed conversations about two probably of the most important issues that we face today in society the issue of mental health and well-being but also the issue of racism one that a conversation that we have often come so close to talking about when it, come, when it comes to you know, the treatment, the media treatment of Meghan, but also having the first biracial member of the royal family and now biracial family with Archie and baby number two on the way. And you know I think in a way there had often been this dance to avoid those conversations. And I think here we are after Harry and Meghan's interview, it's in our face. There is no escaping these conversations and it'll be very interesting to see how over the days and weeks ahead the royal family navigate that because i think that there is a you know i i'm not one for polls i, I actually despise them because i don't often feel they truly represent the country but if you look roughly at the polls conducted and unfortunately most of them are by uh, newspapers here in the uk we can see this real divide between uh, the younger royal watcher and the more traditional royal watcher. And that paints a really interesting picture for what the royal family face in the future, because I think there are many who have really accepted the royal family's you know, stiff upper lip approach to life and the world. And there's always been that mystique uh, surrounding the royal family. We don't always know what they think. We rarely hear what how they feel on every single issue. But where we're at today is actually a moment that underlines the need to hear more yeah. from the royal family.
1: Well, it's so interesting you say that, Omid, because that's almost you know, word for word. I just finished interviewing this young British woman who was very outspoken about pretty much what you just said. And, and you know, her point was that at the end of the day, Britain is t- traditionally not a place that discusses emotions like this. It discusses their problems. And, you know, she uh, brought up Britain's past and said, in her mind, it's about time that we talk about racism. And if it took this interview, well, so be it. Let's have some uncomfortable conversations. Let's talk about the things that we've pushed under the carpet for too long and let's uh, bring them to light. And, you know, she actually was really hopeful. She was like, this interview has made me hopeful that we're talking about it. We're addressing these problems. And, you know, it makes me sad that, uh, Meghan and Harry had to go through this. Um, she wasn't surprised, but she is hopeful now that at least we're having these conversations. And she said the same thing. You know, she's young, she's in her 20s, and uh, she still thinks the royal family could ha- ha- should have a place in society. But if they want to stick around, they have to modernize and start talking about these issues and representing a younger generation as well.
0: You know, it's interesting because, of course, that younger generation will be the ones that one day des- possibly decide the future of the institution. And you, you know, I think that amongst that section of society are many people waiting to hear more on these matters from the royals. so mm. I don't think it'll be something that will disappear in the way that we sometimes see the royals hope hoping that stories do often do and and they do. Um, but I think also what's interesting with this is it has also challenged um, or at least provided a moment of possible reflection for some of the media who have been sort of played a role in this Sussex story, good or bad. I think everyone's mm. sort of been part of this, you know, myself included, all, all of us. And I think that this, this story that the couple have shared have given us much deeper insights into what was going on at the time, but also it's provided a chance for people to think about what was sort of adding to that at the time you know, a lot of the cruel commentary and uh, negative stories were heaped on, now we know, at one of the Duchess's most difficult and vulnerable moments uh, of her time living here in the UK. So again, I think that, you know, I've said this and this is not being cheesy, glass half full, but I do hope that this is some sort of catalyst for change. I worry it may not be, And I guess that's what, you know, my job as a Royal Correspondent will be, is to to follow the the, the aftermath of that. But we are certainly presented with the perfect opportunity.
1: I have a feeling, Omid, that this is just the beginning of many conversations we're going to have from the fallout of this interview. And hopefully, like you said, some of them will be good conversations that really, you know, push this forward.
0: Exactly. It's not always easy, sometimes a little uncomfortable. Um, but I think it needs to be done. And if this interview provided that moment of discomfort that we can push past and have bigger conversations, you know, how, how lucky am I to be able to talk about race on a podcast about yeah. the royal family? How lucky yeah, are we to, to, to really have point. very real conversations about mental health yeah. in this space? And, you know, we've yeah. seen some of that from the royals in the past. You know, Harry, William and Kate have all been very active in their mental health advocacy. Um, but this brings even more the plate.
1: Well, on that note, Omid, actually, if you notice it's getting quiet, I just um, got home in my car ride (laughs) and um, I think that might be it for us today. But like I said, I think it might be it for us today, but it's just the beginning of many, many more conversations, many of them hopefully constructive uh, coming soon.
0: Absolutely. Well, And also, guys, we'd love to hear what you have to say on all of this. It has been, you know, listen, I'm not going to lie, it's been an exhausting week and, and emotionally quite draining as well. Um, but I, you know, I think being able to have that window <laughs> onto how others are, uh, are talking about this through social media has actually been very helpful, engaging the sort of public opinion on all of this. So, yeah, you can fi- you know where to find us, Maggie Rooley and Omid <laughs> Scoby on Twitter and just use the hashtag TheAirPod so we can find you amongst all the noise. Uh, big thank you to the guys in New York for pulling the show together. That's the full ABC Audio crew, Anthony, Ali, Leighton, Schneider and Michael Dabuski forever in your debt. And until the next episode, where I hope that you and I are not hungry and sleep deprived and all the rest of
1: it, <laughs> uh,
0: I will bid you adieu. See you later,
1: David.